I'm Josh Boaz. I'm Matt Zucker. There are a lot of podcasts featuring top executives. But what about the next wave of leadership? The makers and the doers. The ones we're all going to work for. We wanted to meet them. Find out their story, how they got to where they are, and what they see coming for everyone. This is a spotlight on those on the way up. This is Rising. Today, we talked to Joe Meyer, founder and CEO of ExecThread, an exec-level job-sharing network that has exploded in the last few years. Half my friends are ExecThread members. Before starting ExecThread, Joe was the CEO of HopStop, which Apple acquired to help it introduce pedestrian navigation and transit routing within Apple Maps. Prior to this, Joe led revenue efforts for Kigo, which was acquired by AOL, and before that was a GM at eBay. I'm excited to hear about his journey, and maybe because of the unique view he has at ExecThread, seeing thousands of senior-level searches every year, he might also have a few observations on the careers for others. Welcome, Joe. Thanks for having me. Welcome, Joe. Thanks. Cool. So tell, I mean, tell us, now you've got your own business, but before that, you worked for different companies. So I guess if you could help us understand your career trajectory and how you made um, the different choices along the way. Yeah, I mean, over the past... uh dozen years at least, I've found myself uh, starting companies or taking over startups from founders. That's your um, thing. But earlier in my career, I started down the brand management and traditional marketing path at consumer product companies. Thought I was going to go down that path in my career. Um, I guess you would say I pivoted um, using modern terminology. I pivoted uh, my career in the direction of uh, high tech. And once I made that pivot, I become much more entrepreneurial. So how many years were you working in marketing before you started doing the other? I mean, if you count internships during college, I don't know if you would, but uh, let's not. Um, probably around uh, f- almost five years. And we'll, tell us about your days at eBay. I mean, that's a, this must have been an early days of you know, yeah. success story. Yeah. So uh, first off, eBay was a great company to be with at the time I was with them. Uh, they had just gone IPO when I, got, when I arrived. Uh, it was growing by leaps and bounds, uh, the fastest growth company I've ever been associated with, uh, as an employee or, or founder or otherwise. Um, and just a great time to be there. Uh, learned a lot. I, uh, was hired by someone, uh, whose name is Gil Pinchina, who is a perennial angel in Silicon Valley now. I remember the interview I had with him and it was during the dot-com bust. Um, I'm not sure if you guys were working during the dot-com bust, but, uh, it wasn't a pleasant time. And. I was just rolling off of a failed startup as a founder, and a lot of people weren't giving me a chance because you know the stigma against failed entrepreneurs back then was pretty big. Yet Gil saw me as someone who took a chance, who had some really good you know classical marketing experience under his belt, and also took a chance to start a company. And he liked the combination of the two. We need he needed at eBay um, people with strong general management experience plus entrepreneurial uh, you know roots. So he took a chance on me, and he said verbatim. He said, Hey, you know, we're growing by 10,000% every month, whatever it was. And, uh, you know, if you come here, you're going to probably be here for three or four years and have five or six jobs in those three or four years. And if that's something that interests you, then you should join us. And if not, you shouldn't come. And I was there for three, three and a half years and I had five different jobs. So it was great. And at the time, did you think eBay joining eBay was a risky move or, I mean, now it seems like that would be a safe place to, to be. Well, you know, the eBay of today versus when I joined much different companies, um, you know, eBay has been around for what, 15, 20 years, something like that at this point. Uh, when I joined them, they were in their infancy, uh, only a couple of years old, still, you know, a lot of growing pains, um, but a rocket ship. 
and uh, it was a hot company to be with. Um, and to tell you the truth, uh, eBay resurrected my career. You know, I was uh, again rolling off of a failed startup, failure in the entrepreneurs in, in the entrepreneur space in the startup space was not glorified like it is today. Uh, not that failure is glorified today, but failure as a founder today uh, is definitely embraced more as long as you learn from it and roll off of it, you know, and move on to bigger and better things. But back then, you know, there was a stigma against uh, dot-com founders and dot-com startups. Um, and, you know, eBay really kind of got my career back uh, on the right tra trajectory. What kind of skills matter so much when you, when you go from owning your own business to being the general manager of someone else's? What are the transferable skills or which ones do you have to pick up that you didn't have? I mean, I think it depends on what size and stage of company you're at. Um, you know, by the time I got to eBay, they were already a pretty big company, but they were growing very quickly. And therefore, you know, the, I guess the classical training that I had at companies like Ernest and Julio Gallo or Clorox or PricewaterhouseCoopers helped me within a big company or what was becoming a big company environment. But my entrepreneurial roots and my entrepreneurial experiences helped me with the fast growth nature of it, which not everyone, you know, embraced in terms of, you know, it's, it's hard to manage growth. And that's what Gil wanted. He wanted people that knew how to manage people, processes, and growth, uh, and not only manage growth, but continue to instigate it. So it was a nice blend that I had, and I think he realized that, and it wound up being a really good fit. You talked a little bit about the stigma failure, and it's definitely, as we can see, it's like for, for the founders, it's, it's evolved, right? You can fail, you'll get funded again, you can fail, you get a $1.7 billion payout, you know, it's changed. But what about for that, like, mid-level you know, the rising executive. Is it okay to be at a startup that fails? Like, is it going to derail their career? Like, what, you know, if someone coming out of business school, would you tell them go for that risky startup or go for the, yeah. you know? So, I mean, I, I mean, we're in a very, very healthy economy right now. And, um, you know, uh, I think there's a big, there's a big difference between failing at a startup as a mid-level or a rising executive in a bad economy versus a healthy economy. Um, you know, I run a network called ExecThread now that, has transparency into all of the exec level jobs or many of them, um, even though they're not publicly posted. And there's a lot of uh, great opportunities there. So even if you aren't successful for whatever reason in, in one role, uh, there's plenty of other opportunities out there. That being said, you know, I learned earlier in my career, you know, you work just as hard at your successes as you do your failures. And, uh, you know, it's a lot easier to springboard from successes than failures. What kind of skills did you pick up that you, that you didn't have? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I mean, many, obviously. I mean, you come out of college, not that that was, you know, only a few years ago for me. It was probably whatever, 25 years ago at this point. But, you know, you really don't have many skills coming out of college. You know, you have book smarts, I guess, uh, and some good, you know, pedigree, I guess. But you don't really have any tangible skills. Um, what about behaviors, know? though? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, at the end of the day, when I was in brand management, it was really general management. Um, you're managing a P&L. It's not just classical marketing. You're managing a budget. You're managing the top line growth as well as the profitability of your brand or business. Um, that said, managing a P&L inside a big company, uh, very different than managing your own company's P&L and being your own company's general manager. Um, I mean, the pressures are just so much higher, to be quite honest. Um, you, know, uh, you know, when someone else write your paycheck versus you're responsible for all the paychecks, uh, a much different sort of mindset that you have. 
And then obviously when, well, maybe not obvious for a lot of people, but when you raise outside capital, especially from institutional investors, um, you know, the, 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 oblig- the, the, the sense of uh, wanting to succeed for them and uh, the pressures that come along with that, much different than, you know, um, you know uh, prior experiences of mine. Tell us about the, the Quigo and Hopstop. Uh, days. I, I remember using Hopstop. I loved it. It's a yeah. great feature. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Um, so, uh, you know, to tell you the truth, um, you know, Quigo was my first true successful startup experience. Um, and at that point I was already in my thirties. Um, and I had two failed startup experiences underneath me at that point. And I often say that, um, you know, sometimes it only takes one failed startup experience as a founder or, you know, early executive to not go at it again. I had two under my belt by the time I was 30. Um, and, you know, uh, I don't know about today, but, you know, uh, you underpay yourself severely if you pay yourself at all back when I was starting companies. And, um, you know, for me to continue to go at it and, you know, continue to try to strive for success in the startup space, uh, it would have been a lot easier to just kind of pack it in and just say, you know, I'm going to go down a more traditional path. Um, but persistence and perseverance uh, and grit and determination uh, and steadfastness are attributes that, going back to Matt's question, that uh, I think are innate in some people, but they come out to the forefront when you are in the startup space, especially you know as a founder or a CEO. Did you have a plan originally about what you wanted to do with your career, or um, or did you kind of wing it? Yeah, you know it's funny. Um, so I guess I'll talk about a couple of things. Uh, so I went to Georgetown undergrad as a, and I was played baseball there and I sometimes go back and, and, you know, talk to the team about career type stuff. And oftentimes I ask them, you know, what do you, what do you guys think you want to do? And all I do is see blank, blank stares, literally blank stares and totally fine. 18, 19 year old kids probably shouldn't know what they want to do. Then again, I went to Morton for my MBA and I taught undergrads as a uh, TA there and all those kids knew what they wanted to do. I mean, they were just like, they were super focused. I guess I was somewhere in between, to be quite honest. Um, I knew I wanted to go into business, whatever that meant. And I knew I had uh, a passion for sports. So my first two or three jobs, to be quite honest, were in the sports marketing and sports management realm. My very first job was for a company called ProServe, which was really a predecessor to IMG. Think Jerry Maguire, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. athlete yeah, representation. Um, and then my second job was at the National Hockey League in their marketing department um, as a PR intern. And then my third job uh, was, well, my third job was Gallo, but my fourth job was as a brand manager, associate brand manager for Upper Deck, which makes trading cards and sports memorabilia. So, you know, I I thought I was going down that path. And it wasn't until I got to Upper Deck that I realized it wasn't necessarily sports that was getting me out of bed in the morning in terms of, you know, a job and was really kind of lighting my fire. It was the fast growth nature that was Upper Deck at the time. Upper Deck was a very fast growth startup in its first five years of existence. I got there in year one or two, and it was growing by leaps and bounds. And they were giving kids in their early 20s, like me, a tremendous amount of responsibility uh, to manage that growth and to you know, continue scaling that growth. And I thought to myself, man, this is what is getting my juices flowing, more so than you know, rubbing elbows with professional athletes mm. or you know, anything like that. Um, so that's when I decided to kind of take the uh, you know, great work experience I was getting to that point and move it down the uh, startup path. And 
I knew I wanted to do something more entrepreneurial. I knew I wanted to do something in the startup community. And, uh, you know, I thought, you know what, what better place to do it than Silicon Valley? So I moved out to Silicon Valley and embraced everything that they had to offer. I was probably the least technical person to start in the tech space. Um, so I think one question you asked before was, you know, what maybe surprises I've had in my career. If you, you know, if you ask me or any of my friends or family members back when I was in my, you know, college years or, you know, two or three years afterwards, would I have a, uh, not only a career, but a, a pretty successful career in the high tech space as a founder uh, and be a, a product oriented uh, executive? Uh, I think I, as well as people I knew back then would be shocked because I was probably the least technical. Hmm. But you learn it, you know, whatever you're passionate about or whatever you want to be successful in, as long as you put your mind to it and stick to it, you know, you can learn anything. I do find from a lot of people that sometimes the success is not the title, um, and sometimes it's not even the category, like you said, the, being in sports, or that it's technology, but it becomes the verb, and people get a rush out of the, the verbs they do, like the actions that they do. And that's kind of a, a new thing I've started to hear in the last couple of years. Yeah, I don't know if this is the same thing that you're saying, um, but for me, it's more of the cause-effect nature of my job. Um, you know, I was at one or two companies uh, in my past where I felt like, you know, it was, uh, I really wasn't moving the needle. <laughs> you know, I, I really didn't see the cause effect nature to what I was doing. And, uh, but I'll tell you, you know, what I've done the last, really, to be quite honest, ever since, uh, you know, ever since Quigo, you know, that was three startups ago, all here in New York, uh, major, massive cause effect to, to my jobs. That's um, cool. Yeah, you know, where I could see how what I was doing how I was having a big impact or not, more often than not, you know, big positive impact on the company. So take us through now your current your your current endeavor, Exec Thread. What what made you start it? What was like the cause and effect that you were trying to trying to see in the marketplace? Yeah. So uh as Matt mentioned, I found myself at Apple by way of an acquisition, fortunately so. And um, you know, I didn't necessarily want to spend the rest of my career at Apple. It was a great company to be at for a few years, but um, I was already thinking about kind of what I wanted to do next. Ideally, I wanted to go start another company. I didn't have an idea that I was so enamored with that um, would warrant me leaving Apple for. But um, so I actually started a, a very, very lightweight job search while I was still at Apple. And uh, I thought to myself, I wonder after having been in the startup community after the past, you know, dozen years or so in the sort of roles I was in, you know, I wonder how companies would value that in the traditional sense. Um, so I started, you know, opportunistically looking around and uh, I hadn't done job searching in 15 years uh, leading to that point. And, uh, but I remembered what you needed to do. And uh, I found the process so in incredibly inefficient and oftentimes ineffective. Uh, needle in the haystack, haystack sort of, uh, you know, searching uh, executive recruiters that didn't want to necessarily hear from the candidate, but, you know, wanted to control the process, jobs that weren't publicly posted. Uh, if they're not publicly posted, uh, how do you get access to them? Uh, the only way to get access to them if, is if the recruiter reaches out to you and there's only so many things, i.e. not many things you can do to influence or impact that. Or the only other way you find out about the opportunity is through networking. Either way, you don't have control over the process, and it's very inefficient and very frustrating. And, you know, and here I was, I, I wasn't necessarily needing a, a job, you know, and I thought to myself, you know, what, what happens when executives really 
find themselves under a time crunch and need to find their next gig. This could be really painful. And, uh, you know, I quickly morphed from trying to find a new job to trying to solve that problem. So uh, the light bulb moment went off for me where I said to myself two things. I said, coming from the world of e-commerce and ad tech and location-based services, i.e. eBay, Quigo, AOL, and Hopstop Apple, um, you know, they were all data companies under the hood. We built massive databases of candidate, I mean, of uh, users, and we gave them a compelling user experience to engage with. And when they engaged with that user experience, that led to us knowing a lot about them from a behavioral perspective and hence building up behavioral profiles. And with those behavioral profiles, you do downstream targeting of, you know, opportunities that you put in front of them based on what you know about their past online behavior. And I thought that concept doesn't exist in the world of executive search, because if it did, then the recruiters that are approaching me for the jobs that they're approaching me for now wouldn't be approaching me with these jobs because they're not of interest to me. <laughs> uh, if they only knew what I'd be interested in, they'd be approaching me with different jobs. I didn't know how to solve that problem. But the other frustrating point I found was that I didn't have access to the hidden jobs. Um, and I said, you know what? I think I can solve that problem because if other professionals are like me where they're getting approached but not pursuing the majority of jobs they're getting approached for, would they be willing to share the jobs that aren't publicly posted that they're hearing about from executive recruiters? Would they be willing to share them with a platform, with a clearinghouse? Uh, at that point, it was me. Um, in exchange for uh, finding out about the opportunities that other executives are sharing with that same clearinghouse. So that's when I said, you know, wow, that could be a really interesting idea. I could bring transparency to the hidden job market. I didn't even know it was called the hidden job market back then. I do now. But the concept was relatively simple, which is you get approached by an executive recruiter. You're not interested in that job. What do you do with that job when you say no to the executive recruiter? Now you have something to do with it. You share it with ExecThread. You forward it on to ExecThread. ExecThread takes it, curates it, vets it, represents it back to the community of, uh, of members. And by virtue of that, members like Matt can find out about amazing job opportunities that his peers are getting approached for when he never could have otherwise and vice versa. Um, at this point, we've crowdsourced uh, over 12,000 retained searches worked on by, you know, some of the most, you know, biggest re recruiting firms out there, Corn Ferry, Russell Reynolds, Hydrogen Struggles and others, uh, built a network of closing in on 50,000 uh, professionals who are uh, exceptionally high caliber. It's a vetted curated network. Um, and uh, hundreds of our members have gotten their next career advancing job from it. Um, so it's been a, it's been a fun ride so far, but uh, a challenging one. They all are. How long has it been in business? Four years this month. Yeah. Four years ago, we raised funds. Oh, congratulations. Thanks. And Matt, if you're looking for a new podcast gig, don't. <laughs> don't advertise. Don't advertise. Yes. I'm not going to advertise a co-host podcasting. Exactly. Exactly. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, one thing I would say is, uh, you know, this is my fourth or fifth startup, depending on how you count, um, and third as a founder. And, uh, you know, they're, they're all different. Uh, none of them are easy. Uh, new challenges. Um, you know, just because you've done it before, whether it be successfully or not, doesn't necessarily make it easier the next time. But it does give you perspective that, uh, that it isn't going to be easy. Uh, you go into it with eyes wide open. You know the 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 you know it's a journey. You know it's a a marathon at a sprint's pace. Uh, you know there's going to be major potholes along the way. You just don't know when they're going to occur or how deep they're going to be, but you know they're going to come. 
So it gives you that perspective that, you know, to help you ride the storm, I guess. In terms of broader careers beyond startups, um, what kind of career advice would you give people just generally? Do you have some wisdom to pass on? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I'll talk out loud. I mean, I've been talking out loud the whole time, but um, even more so. So I guess a couple of things. So um, as it relates to startups and entrepreneurship, uh, entrepreneurship specifically, and then I'll move away from entrepreneurship. Um, somebody told me a long time ago, and I don't know who it was. I think I was at an event and I saw it. Um, entrepreneurship is not a career path. <laughs> um, you know, uh, you can't plan ahead when you're an entrepreneur, you know, you, you're not like saying, Oh, in two years, I'll be promoted. If I do X, Y, and Z, you know, like I could be out of business in six months, or I could be sitting on a new round of funding in six months, or I could be acquired in six months. You know, how do you plan for that? Um, so entrepreneurship, I, I agree is not a career path. Um, you know, going back to your question in terms of, you know, the majority of professionals are not founders or not CEOs or, you know, not folks like myself. Um, you know, but I wasn't always a founder or a CEO either, you know, and uh, one thing that I've always um, uh, made sure that I have within whatever decision I make career-wise is I need to be following my gut. I need to be enjoying the process. I need to be passionate about what I do. Um, I, I'm allergic to jobs just for having a job sake. Um, it's okay. Some people, you know, it's fine. You know, people would rather get their fulfillment, you know, outside of the job. For me, you know, if you're going to do something 10, 12 or more hours a day, um, you know, you need to enjoy it. Um, so I don't care if you're driving a truck, serving coffee, uh, you know, recording a podcast session or running a startup or being a CMO. Uh, as long as you really enjoy what you're doing, passionate about it, get fulfillment out of it. Um, and not do it for a paycheck. You know, uh, I think, uh, you know, there are a lot of unhappy people out there that have pursued career decisions because of, uh, the almighty dollar. And, uh, I've never been one of them. Um, and, uh, I just don't think it's the right way to, uh, I, you know, I think it should be the second or third or fourth, uh, aspect of the decision, not the primary. That's right. good advice. Every show we ask our, our guests to thank someone from their career past, somebody maybe that opened a door or gave them advice that still sticks with them. Um, Joe, is there anyone you'd like to thank? The very, very first person that hired me, his name was David Bagleifter. He was an SVP at ProServe's office in New York. And he took a total chance on me. I had nothing on my resume. I had no career experience. And he gave me a job that was highly sought after. Um, you know, and he gave me that first chance and I don't know what he saw, but he saw something. I don't know what it was, but you know, uh, I think to myself, I wonder how differently things would have been if he didn't give me that chance. Um, you know, my, uh, you know, fast forward to today. Um, you know, I, I should also thank Gil Pinchina for giving me the chance at, at eBay when other people weren't willing to give me a chance. And then more recently, uh, I've had two board members in my last two startups, um, um, Jerome Galai, who's the founder and CEO of Outbrain, and Stuart Erickson, who's a managing director at Guggenheim. Um, Stuart's been on my last two boards. And these are guys that have gone above and beyond the call of duty to provide me with advice, counsel, support, time, um, you know, and, uh, and that's invaluable. Thank you, all Thank those you. people. Yeah. yeah.
Now it's time for our top picks where we either recommend a book, an app, life hack, anything that you think our listeners would find valuable. Uh, Matt, you want to kick us off? Yeah, Joe talked earlier about distraction and staying focused. And I do a lot of writing on the side. And I'm finding that that, you know, the program IA Writer is a really good minimalist writing program that kind of takes away all the noise around you and lets you kind of focus for a while. Um, and once you start really using it, it really becomes the only way you can write. And I find that I'm way more productive with it. Um, I'll go next. My, my pick is actually the opposite direction. There's actually more technology. Um, actually, that's, I, I love all the kind of IoT products and I had the, you know, all the different Alexas. I recently got the Google Nest Hub, which is like the Google Nest with the screen. And it syncs right in your calendar, and it pull. You know, it's, it's like it pulls in things from your digital world that you don't even know it's pulling in, and it's just it, it's a pretty slick kind of product plus software integration that they put together. Very cool. I'm going to do this shameless plug. I'm sorry, got to do it, um, especially this time of year when people are, you know, we're entering the holidays and the new year is starting, and a lot of people are starting to think about, you know, their next job or you know, next career opportunity. Um, you know, I'll just plug Exec Thread. Um, it's great. Uh, platform to find amazing job opportunities that you won't find anywhere else. And um, the fact that 49% of our members are women, people of color, and LBGTQ+, i.e. underrepresented professionals, uh, probably gives you an indication that, you know, underrepresented professionals have been traditionally underserved in the executive recruiting community or by executive recruiters. And by virtue of gaining more efficient access to hidden job opportunities, uh, exec thread is disproportionately benefiting uh, those underrepresented professionals who have been traditionally underserved by the traditional industry. That's cool. Oh, that's I a good pick, that. yeah. Joe, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you. Um, what's a great way for people to find you? Yeah, so uh, just two things. One is LinkedIn. I'm a pretty active, uh, I'm a very active uh, LinkedIn uh, person, so um, or member, I should say. And then... Uh, I have no problem people emailing me directly, joe at execthread.com. Great. Thanks so much. Thanks, Joe. Our theme music was created for us by Movers and Shakers, a really cool creative studio who use original music and dance to bring brands to life. It's such a fresh approach to telling a brand story, and their work really engages emotionally with consumers. In fact, they recently won a Webby. You can watch their videos for Match.com, Little Tykes, and others on their website, moversshakers.co.